You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Well, good evening, Valleydale and friends. I hope you're having a blessed day. Thank you for joining us tonight. We look forward to sharing God's Word with you tonight. In the eyes of the world, Danny had everything, but yet internally, he wanted more. Danny worked in the hair and makeup industry. He was very, very good at what he did. In his early 30s, he moved to Paris so he could be in the center of the fashion industry. He was working with celebrities. He was well-known. He was making a lot of money. And uh, in, in fact, he actually was on this cover of Vogue magazine. His work was recognized on the cover of Vogue. His career took off, and he was making $3,000 a day traveled and did a photo shoot in the Caribbean, Uh, you know, he was in high demand. And from the outside, you would think Danny has everything. But inside, things were in a, a downward spiral. You see, Danny turned to alcohol, he turned to pills, and before long, that was no longer enough, and he turned to cocaine, and before long, that was no longer enough, and then he, he got hooked on heroin. You see, from the outside, things look great, but Internally, there was a hunger for more. Have you ever had a hunger for more in your life? And then when you finally achieved whatever that thing was, it it was not enough. I'm sure all of us have experienced that. Maybe it was a longing or a hunger for a a certain job or promotion or title. And then once you got it, you thought, man, I'm going to be fulfilled. And and it it just wasn't what you thought. Maybe some of you, the struggle was loneliness. You thought, man, I just longed to be married. And, and then if I could just be married, and then you, you got married, and, you, and at times you, you still struggle with loneliness. You see, all of us have a deep hunger in our hearts for more. And maybe for some of you, it was that longing for retirement. You thought, man, if I could just make it there, and then you made it there, and it just, it just wasn't what you thought it would be. It's good, but it just didn't satisfy that deep desire in your heart. You see, all of us have a deep hunger in our hearts, a deep longing that only the God who created us can fulfill. And tonight we want to look at two different miracles where there was a need for more. And there was human insufficiency. And there's no way that humans could meet this need. And so there was a need for more. And maybe some of you would would say, man, I'm right there tonight. There is a need for more in my life. There's a need for more patience as I'm with my children all day. There's a need for more wisdom as we're trying to deal with teenagers. There's there's a need for more courage at work. There's a need for more time. There's a need for more ability and, and strength and on and on. There's just a need for more. And as we're going to see tonight, there was a need for more. And God used the prophet Elisha to step in and to meet that need for more. And he did a miracle in both of these stories. And so I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 38. We're going to look at these two short stories tonight and see how God met the need for more. He can meet that need for more in your life and in my life as well. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 38, Elisha came again to Gilgal. Elisha had been in Gilgal before, back in chapter 2, with Elijah. Remember, he was with Elijah on his farewell tour, and Elijah eventually went up into heaven. But they were there in Gilgal. So now Elisha goes back, 
And uh, Gilgal, it's possible this was the same Gilgal that Israel had been at. Remember in Joshua 4, Israel crossed the Jordan River on dry ground and they came up and they camped there at Gilgal. And they took stones out of the Jordan. They set them up there as, a, as, a, as a, an, an altar of, of worship and as a, a place of remembrance where they would see those stones and they would tell their children, hey, remember, God brought us through there. And so th- that's where Elisha goes to Gil- Gilgal. It says there was a famine in the land. Now you remember back in 1 Kings 17, Elisha said, there'll be no, Elijah said, there'll be no rain except at my word. God brought famine on the land because of their idolatry. They were worshiping the false god Baal, and God says, I'm going to discipline you and punish you by bringing famine. So there's a famine here as well. And, and I take this as God's way of disciplining his, his children again. There was still uh, mass idolatry in Israel. And so uh, 2 Kings 8 says there was a famine for seven years. So it's possible this was that same famine. So there was a need there for food. And as, as Elisha was there, it says, and as the son of the prophets were sitting before him. Now the sons of the prophets were young men in training for ministry. The, the, the prophetic movement goes all the way back to Samuel. You remember Samuel, you read about him in, in 1 Samuel. God used him, and after him there were many, many other great prophets, including Elijah and then Elisha. Elisha was anointed in 855 B.C., and after him there were others. And so there was these schools of prophets that were, were created in Jericho and, and Bethel, and then obviously here at Gilgal as well. And I envision them just sitting around listening to Elisha. Can you imagine having someone, Elisha, come and talk to you? And apparently Elisha would travel around and minister to these young ministers and to speak to them and to pour into their life. And I would imagine they were hungry to hear what Elisha had to say. So Elisha shows up and he, there, there's a famine in the land and he notices that, um, hey, I bet these guys would like to eat. And so he says to his servant in uh, verse 38, set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. This prophet or, or this, this pottery, uh, or this pot was made either of pottery or metal, had a wide mouth at the top and apparently was large because there was a, a number of, of men to feed here. We're not told exactly how many, but they were hungry. And so he says, set on the large pot. Now, It was a famine, and so there were no vegetables to grab. And so it says, verse 39, One of them, that is one of the sons of the prophets, went out into the field to gather herbs. He's just trying to grab whatever he could find. Whatever is available, that's what he wanted. He found a wild vine and gathered from it in his lap uh, full of wild gourds. And so you just picture taking a a T-shirt or something like that and just piling in as many of uh, these wild gorges, pulling them off the vine, as many as he could grab. And he's, then he goes back to camp. And apparently he got there before anybody else did, or maybe everyone had come back and no one had found anything because there was, there was a famine. And, and he says, well, hey, I, I've got food. And so he takes these gourds and he pours them into this pot. And, 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 and they, he cuts them up and puts them in the pot. It says, not knowing what they were. Now, these wild gourds probably refers to wild cucumbers or some type of citrus fruit. They were probably yellow in color, 
And today, today they're known as the apples of Sodom. They were probably by the size of an orange, so a, a pretty decent size. Uh, they could be fatal, but apparently no one knew that. And so they're cut up, they're put in the pot, and they're put out for everyone to eat. But there was a problem. The food was not edible. It says, but while they were eating, um, while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, Oh, man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat. Now, the death in the pot, we're not sure if that means this just doesn't taste very good, there's a bitter taste to it, or this is poisonous. In other words, maybe there was nausea, their stomachs are hurting. It's, it's hard to figure out which is the case here, but nonetheless, the food is not edible. And so Elisha had, had seen death in the water, remember back in uh, Jericho in chapter 2, and now he faces death in the pot. Now at, at Jericho, the solution was to put salt in a new bowl and pour it on the water, and God used that salt to purify the water source. But here at Gilgal, the solution was flour. So Elisha says, then, then bring flour, and he threw it into the pot. And it's interesting, because there was a famine, Elisha didn't just discard the food. No, the food was worth saving. The food just needed purifying. And so he said, uh, you know, throw in, the, throw in the flour and then pour some out for the men that they may eat. And so, uh, you know, they brought the flour to Elijah. He threw it in the pot. Flour was not a magical ingredient. Um, you know, perhaps it did absorb the bitterness or salt from the wild gourds. But the point is, God did a miracle. God used the flour to purify this poisonous pot of stew. And the men were able to eat, it said, and there was no harm in the pot. Now, what is God trying to teach us here? Is he trying to teach us that in order to reach people for Christ, as one source said, we need to be master chefs no, no that's, not, that's not what he's trying to teach us. Is he trying to say that we need to be feeding the hungry, we need to be careful what we feed them? Well, God does care for the hungry, does care for the needy. But I believe there's a deeper message here that God wants us to learn from this. You see, this was a theological object lesson for Israel. The reason uh, I believe that there's a famine in the first place is because of their idolatry. Not the sons of the prophets, but Israel as a whole was in idolatry. So God is using this story as an object lesson for Israel. And so the sons of the prophets represented Israel. Israel had a spiritual hunger, uh, but they instead of turning to God, they turned to Baal. They had this spiritual hunger, and they, they, and they, they reached for the things of the world. They searched and grabbed whatever looked attractive to them, whatever looked popular to them. And that was not Yahweh, that was Baal, the false god. So the wild gourds represented Baalism. It looked good on the surface, looked popular, looked attractive, but in the end it was death. That's why he said it's death in the pot. Idolatry will lead to death. It looks great, everybody's doing it, it looks attractive, but in the end it leads to spiritual death. That's what he's saying. There's death in the pot. And so Israel had tried to meet a legitimate need, which was spiritual hunger, through illegitimate ways, which is Baalism. Instead of turning to God and worshiping him, they turned to Baal. Now, the flower represents the word of God. That's what purifies. That's what cleanses. That's what makes the stew 
uh, edible. And so there's a connection between um, the, the Word of God and bread and Scripture. Remember, God gave Israel manna in the wilderness. You read that in Exodus 16. God gave them, gave them that every morning except for the Sabbath day. And then God's, God's bread made their, met their most basic physical need. In Deuteronomy 8, Moses said, you see the connection between bread and the Word of God. In chapter 8, verse 3, And Moses said, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, he's saying man has a physical need and man has a spiritual need. And that bread can satisfy the physical need, but only God can satisfy the spiritual need. In the New Testament, Jesus said it this way, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the one who can satisfy that spiritual need that we have. God gave bread, but Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. If you want that deep spiritual need met in your life, Jesus says, come to me. Only he can meet that need. And so that's where forgiveness comes from. It's in the bread of life. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel had turned away from the bread of life. They had turned to Baalism. So the solution would be to turn back to to God, to turn to his word, to turn to worship the God of the word. So obedience to God's word would change their lives and the nation could turn around from judgment and begin experience God's blessing. But the real question was, would they repent? Would Israel turn away from their sin? And ultimately the answer was no. And God was sending the Assyrians years later in 722 and to defeat Samaria. But this story was also an object lesson for the sons of the prophets. This was a message for them to rely upon the word of God, not to rely on themselves, not to rely on their abilities, not to rely on whether they knew Elisha or not. They were to rely upon the word of God. As they ministered in idolatrous Israel, they would need to stay close to the word of God and they would need to minister the word of God because only God's word can purify that which is poisonous. And so it was an object lesson for them as well. No no tool of the world would meet the deep needs of the idolatrous Israelites. Only the word of God could turn them back to, to God. So I've got two points for you tonight, then a few application points. Our first point is this. Our spiritual hunger cannot be satisfied with worldly nourishment. Our spiritual hunger cannot be satisfied with worldly nourishment. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he, that is God, has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. You see, only God can satisfy that deep need that we have. And there's, most of you listening tonight, you've already received Christ as your Savior. But, but maybe you're trying to, instead of going to the Lord for fellowship, you're turning to other places. And it's, it, it can be a lot of good things out there in the world, and you're reaching. You think, man, that just looks so good. If I could just have that, that position, if I could have that toy, that, that possession, whatever it is, if I could just have that relationship, then I will be fulfilled. And only, only God can meet that need in your life. Uh, and so when we reach for those things, it only leads to restlessness and disappointment. And so if you're experiencing restlessness in your heart and your spirit tonight, then you and I, we need more of Jesus. 
We need more of His presence in our life. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God, more of His presence, more of His power. In 2004, a documentary film appeared about a guy named Michael who ate fast food only for a 30-day period. Now, can you imagine that? Three meals a day, all he ate was fast food. Now, he went to McDonald's, okay? So this is not a, anything negative against McDonald's, but this is what he chose to do. For three, three meals a day, 30 days straight, he had everything on the menu at McDonald's. He went through. Now, to be fair, he, he ordered double portions some. I'm sure he supersized things, okay? But for 30 days straight, all he ate was McDonald's. He consumed, on average, 5,000 calories a day. So at the end of this 30 days, Michael, who was only 32 years of age, had gained 24 pounds. His cholesterol had, had elevated, as you might imagine, eating all of that. And he had, uh, he had uh, these mood swings, and he had accumulated fat on his liver. All of that in a matter of 30 days. It took him 20, uh, 14 months to lose 24 pounds. It took 14 months to lose all of that weight he had accumulated by eating all of that fast food. You see, our bodies are not made to live on processed fast food for three meals a day. All right, we, we've got to have nourishment. We need fruits and vegetables in order to nourish our bodies. And so our souls need more than the fast food of the world. The things that you and I reach for, that we think, oh, that looks so good. Oh, that would just satisfy me. They don't nourish us. They, they only harm us. And so, you know, what, what is it tonight? What are the wild gourds that you're reaching for? What are those things that look so attractive? And only the Spirit of God can, can, can convict you of those things. But whatever they are, my friend, I encourage you to turn to Christ, that only He can satisfy that deep need of your heart. That's the first story. The next story is found in the verses right after this, verses 42 through 44. A, male, a man came from Baal Shalashah, bringing the man of God, which was Elisha, bread of the first fruits. Now, this town, Baal Shalashah, was probably about 14 miles northwest of Gilgal. And he's unnamed. We don't, we don't know his name, but he brings the bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves, it says, of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. We think that would have been corn, probably. And he brings that to Elisha. Now, this would have been during harvest time, and uh, this, these were his first fruits. And so the, the famine would have been most severely felt during this time. And you can imagine, this tells us a little bit about the commitment of this man that he had to God. It's during a famine, he could have easily said, no, I need to keep everything for me. You know, this is mine. There, there's, the resources are scarce but even in famine, this guy is worshiping God and giving his best to the Lord. And so Numbers 18, 13 says that Israel was supposed to bring the first, uh, the first ripe fruits of all that is in their land to the Lord as an act of worship. They would give it to God by, as a way of saying, God, you provided this. You gave me the strength to plow my land. You gave health to the plants. You gave rain. You allowed the plants to grow. God, these are your plants. And so it was, it was a, a way to worship God. Now, according to Leviticus 23.20, Israel was supposed to bring these first fruits as an offering to the priest. So why is he bringing it to Elisha? Elisha was a prophet. Well, the, the priests in Israel were corrupt. 
There, there was no temple there to worship Yahweh. They were worshiping Baal. And so the, this unnamed uh, man who's committed to God says, I'm going to surpass all these corrupt priests. I'm going to a man of God because I worship Yahweh. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in faith to him. And he, he will accept him as an act, uh, an act of worship to God. And apparently this man was one of the 7,000. Remember when God told Elijah, that I've, I've, I have 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. And maybe this was one of those 7,000. So he bypassed a corrupt priest in Israel, went straight to Yahweh's man. Elisha was apparently qualified to accept them. So Elijah takes them. And Elijah says in verse 42, give to the men that they may eat. So there's, there's, there's a, a group of men here that are hungry, apparently. And so it's, I'm assuming the famine is still in effect. And he says, there's 100 men here and, and they need to eat. So let's take this offering and let's give it to the men that they may eat. Now there's a problem. Elisha's servant says, it's verse 43, but his servant said, how can I set this before a hundred men? How? So notice his question was how. You see, how is a question we often ask. How is that going to work? How am I going to have enough to do this? How is God going to do this? How is God going to meet that need? But see, how is never a problem with God. Uh, the God who spoke the world into existence can take care of the how. That's, that's not a problem for him. So Elisha's servant saw the needs of the men so great that it paralyzed him. And how, how, how is this going to work? So he didn't do anything. One source wrote, Gehazi, which would have been the servant of Elisha, does the math and the provision was impossible. He's looking at the 20 small loaves and saying, no way can that feed 100 men. Uh, it's just not possible. So in uh, humanly speaking, it, the, the loaves were insufficient. And so what's going to happen? Left to our own strength, our own abilities are always insufficient. We experience that every day. In our own strength, we cannot do anything. We're incapable of, doing, of pleasing God. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We don't have the strength to do it. Our parenting abilities are insufficient apart from God's strength. You try to share the gospel in your own strength and people will just look at you with a dead stare or they'll laugh at you. But when you do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, there can be life change. And so our own efforts are insufficient. And so if you're feeling insufficient tonight in your Christian life, then you're in good company because all of us are. We need the Lord's help. That's why we need Christ. That's why we need the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so Elisha gave his servant the same instruction as before, except this time he added something to the end. He said, Give them to the men that they may eat, for thus says the Lord. So now God is involved in this equation. For thus says the Lord, they shall, have, they shall eat and have some left. There will be leftovers. There will be abundance because God is getting involved in this equation. You see, when God intervenes, there are leftovers. There is more than enough. There is more than enough strength. Everything changes. These 20 loaves of barley, this corn, it's going to be plenty. So Elisha had a revelation that God would provide, and he acted in faith. Hey, give it to the men. God said it's going to be enough. Let's, let's do it. Let's trust him. Verse 44 says, they ate and had some left according to the word of the Lord. The leftover was because of God's miraculous multiplication of food. 
So again, God intervened in a, in a, in here in, concerning food and did a miracle and met a need. And these men ate and had some left. Now, does this remind you of something in the New Testament? Remember the feeding miracles of Jesus, the 5,000 and the 4,000? Remember the, the disciples being um, thinking, how, how is this going to be enough? How are five loaves and two fish going to be enough to feed all these people? They had the same doubts as well, just, just like Elisha's servant did. They, they, were, uh, they didn't think it could happen either. But the food was brought to Jesus. Jesus blessed it, and it was given, and there were 12 baskets left over. At least in the feeding of the 5,000, there was abundance. So just as the food was brought to Jesus, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you, have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? You see, as Pastor Kirkwood read earlier, that by him all things were created, and that means you and that means me. And so the one who created us is the only one who can meet the deep hunger in our hearts. And so if you've never made that decision, my friend, I encourage you, surrender your life to Christ, and he will meet that deepest desire in your heart. And if you're already a Christian, just continue to lay your heart before him and say, Lord, forgive me for searching all these different other avenues to try to meet the deep longings of my heart. Only you can do that. God, I trust you to do that. The key phrase in this story is found at the end of verse 44, according to the word of the Lord. You see, Baal didn't provide for these men. In the midst of a famine, Baal is not doing anything for these 100 men. But Yahweh did. God provided for them. He was powerful enough to create the solar system. He's personal enough to meet the needs of these men. And he's personal enough and powerful enough to meet your needs as well. In the midst of your struggle, no other worldly idol will deliver. But God can. And Elisha stepped out in faith and trusted God to provide, and God did. Now, here's the second point. When we give to God, our insufficiency is surpassed by his sufficiency. When we give to God, our insufficiency is surpassed by his sufficiency. Two times I read in this story where Elisha said, give, give, give. God can take our insufficient efforts and surpass them by his power and meet any need that we have. So when God is in the mix, there's going to be leftovers. God will give you strength, whether it's in our finances, times, or talents. When we give our best to God, he multiplies it. You know what I've learned? Years ago, I heard Dr. Charles Stanley say this, that prayer is the greatest time saver that we have. I heard him say that. Now, some of you may think, man, I, you're just in a place where you think, I need more time. I don't have enough time. I don't have time to do work responsibilities, family responsibilities, you know, all these other things you're involved in. Prayer is the greatest time saver that we have. And I, I, I've seen God do that. If you have a day where you, it's just busy beyond belief, if you will just give part of that day to the Lord, whatever time of day that is for you, maybe if you're a busy mom, it may be during a quiet time or nap time for children, if you will give that time to him, he will give that time back to you fourfold, hundredfold. He will multiply it. He will make your mind so sharp. You will be making decisions so fast. You will have energy. You will be renewed in your strength. When God gets in the mix, there are leftovers. There will be time left over. You think, man, I, 
I, that got done pretty quick. I didn't, I didn't know that I could do that. Well, when God gets involved, things change. And so I encourage you, there's moments where you feel insufficient. You think, I don't have enough to do it. Invite God to take over in whatever, whatever area of life that is. One source wrote this, limits are placed not by God's provision, but by our willingness to be generous. You see, God's not the one that's limited. We're the ones that have limits. He, is, he has all power, all authority. Let me give you three application points based on our message. First, even holy people have hard times. Even holy people have hard times. The sons of the prophets were living through a famine. They're training for ministry, but they were not exempt from a famine. You may not consider yourself holy, but if you're a child of God, that's how God sees you. You're a saint. You're holy from a position or perspective. And so don't buy into the illusion that just because you're a Christian that, that you're going to be exempt from hard times. Even holy people have hard times. Uh, second, recognize that others' needs are more important than ours. Recognize that others' needs are more important than ours. I don't read anywhere in these two miracles where Elisha ate. Elisha was concerned about the needs of others. He wanted to meet the needs of the sons of prophets. He wanted the, the, the hundred men to eat. Nowhere does it say, it says, and they ate. It doesn't say he ate. He's, he's more concerned about the needs of others. Only God can give us the ability to take our eyes off of ourselves. So ask him, ask him to help you do that. He, only he can help us do that. Finally, remember that we should ask what, not how. We should ask what, not how. God handles the how. We should ask what. God, what is it you want me to do? God, what is it you want me to do today? When we obey the what, God will take care of the how. God will take care of, what, of how you're going uh, to share the gospel with that person. He'll take care of how you're going to make that mission trip. He'll take care of how your financial ends are going to meet. You just obey him. We just do the what. God will take care of the how. Well, Danny's life was out of control. Danny was living on the streets of New York City, doing drugs often. He was empty. He was hungering for more. He walked out of a 5,000 square foot home, cut up everything that had his name on it, driver's license. He didn't want, he didn't want anybody to be able to find him. And he just went to the streets, just searching, just empty. He would hear voices in his head. There was a voice of accusation. There was a voice of just filthy language, and there was another voice that would just laugh all the time. He had all these phobias. Life was pretty terrible for Danny. He got down to 108 pounds, hooked on drugs. Finally, one day, he thought he was going to die, and he went to the hospital, and he didn't want to die on the streets. But you see, during all that time, God ministered to Danny through a woman named Wanda. Wanda, Wanda was a client of Danny's, and for, she knew him for several years. And so one day while Wanda was there uh, with Danny, Wanda said, Danny, I, or she said, I know who you are. I, I, I know that you work with celebrities, and I, I've seen your work, but you're in major trouble. And she said, can I pray for you? And so she stopped and prayed for him, and, and, um, and, and he, said, he said, I'm never going to come to your church. And, and, he, and she said, the day you call it on the name of the Lord, he will set you free. And he said, I will never call on the name of the Lord and I will never come to your church. Well, Danny woke up in that hospital room 
The voices began raging in his head again, laughing, accusing him, filthy language. But Danny also heard another voice. He heard a soft little voice say, the day you call on the name of the Lord, he will set you free. And Danny said at that moment, he just cried out to God. He said, Jesus, help me. Jesus, I I have no other hope but you. He said at that moment, he felt the Holy Spirit just swept into that room. The phobias were gone. The voices in his head were, were gone. He felt the love of God. He felt that he mattered to God. Everything changed for Danny. His life was radically changed. He got involved in his church. He began singing in the choir. Wanda sang in the choir as well, by the way. You see, God used Wanda to show the compassion of God to a hurting, hungry man named Danny. God used Elisha to minister the compassion of God to some hungry men a long time ago. And God can use you to be his minister of compassion and care to others all around you right now who are hurting. The question is, will you be available for God to use you? Will you bow your heads in prayer? Father, we worship you. Thank you that you're in the business of changing lives. Thank you that you worked in Danny's life. You worked in Elisha's life so many years ago as well. And Father, we need you to work in our lives. I pray for my brothers and sisters tonight, many of whom are are already saved. But Lord, maybe there's some emptiness in their life and they've been trying to fill it by searching for something in the world that looks so appealing but it will never satisfy. I pray they would turn to you. Jesus, I pray they would turn to you. They would call upon your name. And Father, they would would immediately sense your presence and your power with them. Lord, give us a deeper hunger for you, O God. Forgive us when we chase after the things of the world, seeking satisfaction, when only you can satisfy. Lord, have mercy and forgive us. Please give us a deeper walk with you and a deeper hunger for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my friends, thank you for joining us tonight for our midweek worship. Pastor will be back Sunday. You'll want to tune in as he continues in the book of Job. Hope you have a blessed and great rest of the week. God bless. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.